Psychiatrists and psychologists tell us that when a little infant is born into the world, that the child comes into a strange, marvelous world. His first feeling, of course, is one of hunger, and he senses pain and light and sound. And then as his central nervous system becomes more sophisticated and he begins to grow and finally can articulate speech, he begins to wonder about the world into which he has been born. And he asks a series of questions, and these questions bring to him knowledge. Uh, they are even called the Socratic method because it, it is a means by which we nearly always learn. The first question that a child asks is this. He asks the question, what is it? When he picks up a little object and he cannot fathom what its meaning is, he looks at it and is startled by it, and he asks the question, what is it? And if we take that same question and apply it to coming to this day in which this white cloth is spread, and these little bits of bread and these little cups with grape juice are there. And we think that all over the world, out in the Fiji Islands, all over Great Britain and Europe, all over the world, people will be celebrating today what Jesus did that night in the upper room when he instituted a Holy Supper. What is it? Well, we have several names for it. If you're a Congregationalist or a Baptist, you may refer to it as an ordinance or a communion. We in the Presbyterian Church use a heavier word. We say the word sacrament, as do our Episcopal and Catholic friends and Lutheran friends. The word ordinance means a law, something that has been set down that will be used for many years to come, something that will be observed for years to come. That's why that passage was read to you from the Old Testament. You see that festival of the Passover, which Jesus translated into the sacred New Supper. Ever a little Jewish boy who would be the eldest child of the household after he had passed his bar mitzvah and became a son of the law on the night in which the Passover lamb was to be roasted and the night in which that little child was to step forward and to be the little man and to look to his father and say to him, what mean you by this service? And Moses' son had done that. And all of the children that followed after Moses had done that. Joshua had done that and Caleb had done that. Gideon had done that. All of the judges of Israel had done that. All of the prophets of Israel had done that. David had done that. Daniel had done that. Nehemiah and Micah, and one day in a household in Nazareth, a little boy by the name of Jesus would stand and look at his earthly protector, 
and say to Joseph, what mean you by this service? And there would be recounted how God had delivered his people at the great exodus and the angel of death had gone over all those homes in which blood had been placed on the doorpost and the lintel and it was a mark and a sign of the deliverance of God for his people. God was always teaching something through his people. We sometimes ask ourselves the question, why do we suffer? Why do we go through pain or see other people go through pain? I really don't believe we learn anything any other way. Look at the nation of Israel and look at it all down through history and look at the lessons God had to teach it. And you'll see him teaching his lessons over and over and over again. What is it? Well, it's a sacrament. It's an ordinance. Sacrament is a sacred pledge. It's an oath. It says, I claim Jesus and what he has done for my salvation. And Jesus says, I claim you to be my very own. It was a word that was taken from the Roman legions, oath of allegiance to the emperor, a sacred vow. If you're sworn into the army or the Marine Corps or the Navy, you take a solemn vow. And if you are sworn into the service of the Lord, you take up the cup of salvation. And you take up that cup in the presence of the congregation, as the 116th Psalm says, and that was John Calvin's Psalm. And you present it to the Lord. And you present your vows before his people. You show that you belong to him, and you're not ashamed to be his. A sacrament. Communion. The word communion in Greek is well known. It's koinonia. And koinonia is fellowship. Fellowship that feels when other people feel. The kind of fellowship that you feel intensely when someone you know and love is in pain or in suffering, and you sort of hurt with them. You hurt when they hurt. That's koinonia. That's fellowship. Uh, your joy is their joy. Did you ever stop to think of those earliest Christians and what they suffered? And how we are told that they were to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ Koinonia, communion, fellowship, blood brothers. Doesn't matter whether we're black or white or yellow or whatever color. Doesn't matter whether we're rich or whether we're poor. The ground at the foot of the cross is level ground, and all of us stand there as sinners in need of a Savior, in need of the cleansing blood of Christ, and bound together in that blood. What is it? It's a sacrament. It's communion. It's Eucharist. It's a giving of thanks to God for what he has done for us in that salvation. Well, as the child begins to progress in his thinking processes, he asks himself another question. 
He asks not only the question, what is it, but he asks, what is it for? Now that becomes a little more difficult to explain. What is it for? What did Jesus tell us it was for? What did Moses tell us that the Passover was for? What did Paul tell us it's for? What does our book of church order tell us it's for? It tells us it is to make us remember. For we forget so soon. The Greeks had a, a funny word that had to do with memory because memory plays tricks on us all. We forget so soon. And we need to be reminded again and again that we belong to Jesus and that he belongs to us and that he actually gave himself for us on the cross. That this is no fairy tale. That this is an actual historical event. That God Almighty became incarnate for us men and for our salvation as we confess this morning. And that he died on that cross and was raised again according to the scriptures and literal historical fulfillment in order that we might be redeemed. What is it for? It is to make us remember. Many of us have precious gifts. There are pieces of, that have been handed down to us by members of our family, heirlooms, mementos, that we would not wish to trade nor give away to anyone else because they convey something special. There's something that's been made special because of the meaning. Well, this little bread that you take up this morning is just plain ordinary bread, but just as really as you can taste it, and just as really as you can swallow it, just that really did God's Son died to take away your sins. Just that really was his blood poured out on a cross. I always like to point out to congregations that the emphasis that Jesus gave that night in the upper room is on the verb. This is my body broken for you. Broken for you. Are you willing to give yourself to him? That completely? What is it for? It is to make us remember. It is to make us remember. And then when we remember, you know, we bear a witness to him. A few weeks ago, I looked up in the lights in an operating theater in a hospital in London. I looked next to an Australian anesthetist and as the anesthesiologist was sliding a needle with sodium pentothal into the vein in my right hand, I remembered that the ambulance driver had sworn while I was coming over in the ambulance. And I thought, you know, if that ambulance driver can be bold enough to swear for the devil, I can be bold enough to witness for Jesus. So I just thought I'd witness to the Australian anesthesiologist. He probably thought I was a hillbilly Jesus freak, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I didn't mind. 
And uh, when, I, when I came to in the recovery room and they were patting my face, I was saying, praise the Lord and hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Graham said that I was repressing a charismatic instinct that I was hiding from everyone else. <laughs> Uh, maybe that's right. Uh, well, what is it for? It's to make us remember and it's to bear a witness, you see, for Jesus. It's to bear a witness to the world for him. Uh, it's to bear, bear a witness for him. And uh, how does it work? That's the next question. The child looks at it and he says, what's it for? What is it? So watch. What's it for? To tell time. How's it work? It's got all those things in it. <laughs> how are you going to explain it to him? It's got the spring. How does it work? Well, how does communion work? How does the sacrament work? It works by faith. You have bread in your hand, but you have Christ in your heart. You have grape juice in your hand, but you have Christ in your, your heart. You, you take it by faith. That's how it works. It works by faith. A couple of minutes after four in the morning a few years ago down in Miami, I was looking into a television set and watching a Christian astronaut who came off on the surface of the moon he, that swirl of dust had gone up and he had made uh, the step down and was on the surface of the moon. And do you know he took with him in the space capsule and in the, the lunar capsule a consecrated bit, he was an Episcopalian, of bread and wine of the sacred supper of our Lord, Buzz Aldrin. He wanted it known uh, and he wanted to take his faith with him there. Uh, what is it, how does it work? It works by faith, by faith. Faith is really all that we can bring to the sacraments, isn't it? By faith, I believe God's word that Jesus died for me. I remember that little poem by Dora Grenfell. I am not skilled to understand what God hath wrought what God hath planned. I only know that at God's right hand stands one who is my Savior. And was there then no other way for God to take? I cannot say. I only know that day by day he saved me through my Savior. He saved me through my Savior. How does it work? It works by faith. The last question of all that the kid asks is, what is it? It's a watch. What's it for? Keeps time. How's it works? Got springs, bounce. Then they ask, why? <laughs> why? John 3.16 is the only answer I know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I know that all of us are conscious of sin. 
that all of us are conscious of a need of a Savior. And I know that God has provided that Savior in what Jesus has done for us in the cross and what is demonstrated for us in this blessed and holy supper. I have to conclude by telling an old story that I've told again and again because so many, and John did such a good job at the uh, Wednesday night preparation service and so many have spoken to me about it. The Church of Scotland, you take communion very, very seriously. You come and take a token when you go to take the supper of our Lord, you go to a preparation service and there's given to you a communion token. It shows that you've really sought to prepare your heart. You present your token to the elder and the elder presents you with communion. And one of my favorite stories, which I'll never get tired of telling and I'll always tell is old John Duncan, who was the smartest of all the professors who ever taught at New College in Edinburgh. Rabbi Duncan, when he applied for his position at Edinburgh University, he wrote his application in Sanskrit and Chaldean and Hebrew and in Aramaic <laughs> and in Turkish. <laughs> he could have got a job at Montreat. <laughs> He, he, he was a very able scholar, and uh, he was so smart in Hebrew. And yet John Duncan was born up in Aberdeen, and the Aberdonians, as, as uh, Crawfords know, who used to live in Aberdeen, uh, those who uh, know the Aberdonians know that they're doer people. They're people who take deeply their faith in Christ. And they, they call it Aberdeen because the River Dee uh, comes through Aberdeen. And when John Duncan, the great uh, philosopher and student of Immanuel Kant, and realized that he could be intelligent and actually believe in God, he danced for joy on the bridge of the River Dee uh, in, in Aberdeen. And then he became converted to the church. And then after he became converted to the church, he has what he calls the big change in which he was converted to Jesus as his Savior. And, and John Duncan, they used to, uh, the boys at Edinburgh University Divinity School used to slip up beside the window and, and listen to hear whether he would pray in Hebrew or Aramaic when he was saying his prayers. He was such a great old scholar. And one time in a highland church, he was administering the Blessed Supper. And there was a 16-year-old lassie who was present, and she didn't feel that she was worthy to take the Lord's Supper. And she was stifling back the tears in her eyes with her handkerchief. And when the supper came to her, she suddenly felt the long, bony fingers of John Duncan and he squeezed her shoulder and he said those wonderful words that all the Scots love. He said, take it, lassie. It's for sinners. Take it, lassie. It's for sinners. 
And so if you're sorry for your sins and you love your Savior, Jesus Christ, you're invited to take it. It's for sinners. 